You guys ready to go tonight? That's what I'm talking about. Me and that one person. It's about to get crazy. Hey, how about the weather, huh? It's like all of a sudden the sun came out. Wasn't that nice? I like woke up this morning. I was like, is that the sun? I'm pretty sure it is. You know? It's like, I, and for me, sun bathing happens very easily. So I was literally outside for five minutes today, and I'm like, I'm already burnt. You know what I mean? It's great. I love it. Um, this passage tonight, uh, it's, to say the least, it's one of my life passages. Um, I've taught this verse more than I have any other scripture. I've labored and wept over this passage more than any other scripture. And tonight I'm excited to see the new way that God has approached this text in my life. So far, we've seen Jesus call the disciples to Himself. We've seen Peter drop the fishing nets. And Jesus say, come, follow me. We saw Matthew, a tax collector, a guy that was always like about his gain and his resources, drop the coin and come and follow me. We've seen the disciples so far be around exorcisms, watching Jesus like bring demons out of people. Could you imagine yourself there? You're a fisherman. And like three or four days later, and the first miracle you remember after he calls them is an exorcism, they're sitting there and they're like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the guy we're going to be following. And Jesus is like, yeah, pretty cool, huh? Yeah? Yeah. It's unbelievable. They're around for the healings. Listen, they're around to watch people be raised from the dead. Just regular old fishermen, tax collectors, watching Jesus move. The disciples have been around for it all. And his teachings to the disciples have been intense and they've been hardcore. And now Jesus, listen to this, is going to turn an intense discipleship message focused completely on the crowd. And so open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, verses 25. Let's do this, man. I'm excited. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them he said, I, I kind of get this image. First of all, we, we've learned that Jesus has been traveling from village to village. On his way where? Yeah, Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem to do what? To die. We're really interactive so far tonight. I love it. He's on his way to Jerusalem to, to die. And on the way, he's stopping in village after village after village. And as he stops, he's teaching and he's healing. And people are getting a full picture of who Jesus is. And, I, and so it, he's created some popularity. Like, I love this, in the middle of the text, in the middle of a bunch of passages where we've seen Pharisees and Jesus go head-to-head, showing his adversaries, all of a sudden we see that he has some popularity. I'm not, I'm not claiming that all of it's positive, right? Because you have some random McGee's in the back, like, that are just waiting, like, to punch their shots, you know? You've got some Pharisees in this crowd, you have his disciples, you have some true followers, but, but do you picture this? Like, picture, like, the paparazzi, Britney Spears style, and, and you know, everyone's following Jesus, and then all of a sudden, it's like he's got something to say. Are, are you imagining this? Like hundreds of people behind him. And they're, they're like trailing on him. And all of a sudden, he stops. Because like all of a sudden, he has something to say. And he turns to them. And so you would be imagining at this point, man, it's a large crowd. I'm sure Jesus is going to share something really encouraging, you know? I'm sure he's going to turn around and be like, all right, everybody, group high five. Let's do this. You know what I mean? But Jesus right now, because he has the multitude. I mean, the crowd. The crowd is huge, so surely Jesus is going to turn to them and say, Man, I'm just so grateful and thankful for all of you. 
You're looking beautiful today. Isn't the weather nice? Surely He's going to say something like that. Verse 26, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. Uh, Like all of a sudden, you, you, you picture it, right? Jesus stops and says, If you don't hate your family and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Get to step in, right? Here's, here's the amazing thing about Jesus. As the crowds get bigger, the teachings get harder. As if to thin out. Now, this is completely uh, anti-cultural, isn't it? We live in a culture, in a church culture, that says when you gather the crowd, you soften the blow so that we'll gain more and more people. But here in Jesus' teaching... The crowd gets bigger and he says, unless you hate your family, like you can't be my disciple. Have a nice day. You see this? It's, it's completely reverse, especially to this thing that we've called today the seeker sensitive. Like this is, this is anti-seeker sensitive. You know what I mean? This is like seeker in, in, insensitive. Can we agree? Over and over and over in Scripture, the Gospel is offensive. Can we agree? The words are offensive. If you're Random McGee that has just like heard about the popularity of this good prophet and teacher who heals people and brings people from the dead, and all of a sudden he turns around and everybody stops and the dust kind of settles. And he says, unless you hate your family and even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Now some of you are like, that's pretty hardcore, especially because the Ten Commandments say honor your father and mother. It's not some kind of like controversial statement. Like you're saying hate your family and then you're saying honor your father and mother. Which one is it, Jesus? Pick one, please, you know? Here's the the methodology here. Over and over and over in ancient Jewish tradition, to say the word hate, and this is not to lessen the blow of the offensiveness of a word like hate. It simply means to love less. So what he's saying is, you know what? You love your family and those closest to you less than me. You love your own life less than me. And unless you do that, you cannot be my disciple. How many of you have kids in here? Yeah, sweet. Okay, the few, the proud, the parents. Yeah. Um, listen to this. When Avery, when I held her for the first time, and now when she has like a broken leg, this is even escalated. Many of you guys know that. My little girl has a little pink cast on her leg. We won't talk about how it happened. That's a whole other story. But um, it's easy to put your kids ahead of Christ. I'm just being honest with you, revealing my own sin. As I hold Avery, I'm like, could anything be more precious than this little girl who says, Dada, love you, which she's saying now. Like all of a sudden she's learning how to say love you. And when, when your parent and your kid learns how to say love you, even if they're just repeating you, it's okay. Like, it's beautiful. You know, you're like, Avery, say love you, love you, you know. But she's not saying on her own yet, but that's cool. Like, well, stages, right, all right? When she says that, I'm telling you what, it's easy to escalate Avery above the Lord. Um, Some of you guys in here are married. Any of you? Um, Okay, perfect. Some of you are not willing to admit it. You'll have a whole other discussion when you get home tonight. You know what I mean? Uh, It's easy for me. I love my wife. She's amazing. She has to be to put up with me daily. say amen in here and then we say hallelujah to that. Are you kidding me? Like, what's up with that? Thank you, Doug. Make your voice is recognizable out of the crowd. It's easy for me to put Heidi ahead of the Lord. It is. Like, I see her. 
I know her very, very well. She is a, is a servant. Some of you guys in here are in dating relationships. Listen to this. Where sexuality has taken a new peak. Where you know each and every time. And you get to that point where it's like, okay. And then you cross the line, which I don't necessarily believe in a line, but I believe in lust. You know that you're in sin. And when you get into sexual sin, and this even happens in a marriage, it's easy to escalate that individual ahead of the Lord. Because all of a sudden you have this like connection. Right? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, all of my worth now is found in this person. What Jesus turns to the crowd and says is that if that's you, you can't be my disciple. Is there any clear, clear picture? Now for some of you guys who are struggling with the word disciple, it means to follow a teacher to say that those teachings are good and they're worth me giving everything that I have to go after that. And so a disciple is one who follows Jesus. And so far there have been 12 that have called and others that are following. But friends, what he's saying is any relationship that you love more than me, if I'm not Lord, if I don't sit on the throne, if your kids or your boyfriend or girlfriend or the mentor in your life or your wife, if any of those people sit on the throne that's only deserving of me, you, what's the word? Cannot be my disciple. So can you picture people? They're like, uh, peace. You know what I mean? Like you can imagine Jesus at this point. He's teaching. And the disciples, like they're standing around too and people are starting to leave. They're like, uh, homie, don't play that. You know what I mean? Like that, that's pretty offensive message. Jesus, have a nice day. And, and so you would think at this point, it, like uh, discouraged by people leaving, that the challenge would lessen. Wouldn't you agree? You know? He'd be like, oh, people are leaving. Oh my goodness. Like we need to reel them all back in. Like we need to, okay, like that guy over there, I can tell he's really upset at that, right? And so the, the, the blow lessens here when he continues on. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So the crowd is lessening. And then he says, anyone who, who can't carry his cross, anyone who does not carry his cross, right, cannot be my disciple. The second of three where we see cannot be my, be my disciple. In the words of the very famous Jeremy Montgomery. At this point, there is nothing Christian about the cross. Are you guys with me? Like we have the blessing of stepping back and saying that Jesus would go to the cross. But at this point in history, what's the cross? There's nothing Christian about it. It's a Roman execution stake. And so if you're a Jew, and or if you're a Gentile, and you're hearing this teaching, what are you hearing? You're hearing, I'm going to be a criminal? And you want me to carry, in the image of carry, what they would do is just like we saw in Jesus in the Passion, is you would put that crossbow of the cross and it would be tied or even nailed to your flesh and you would carry it on your way to the hill? He says, unless you carry your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you're on a path to die, don't worry about it. Now, I'm sure that for the people that were around for this teaching and saw Jesus go to the cross, that this verse extrapolated all kinds of new meanings and this teaching like started to breathe differently in a way that it never had before. But right here, right now, what they're hearing is, I'm going to be a criminal in a land that says that this is not good and I'm called to suffer. First Peter chapter 4 says that do not be ashamed for my name when you begin to suffer 
but consider it a blessing that you even bear my name. The reality is we live in a culture where Christianity has been painted as easy. This teaching already isn't being taught in many, many communities. Why? Because we want to gather the crowd. When the crowd starts to leave, Jesus like hammers it down. He continues to go at them. Why? Because discipleship is hardcore. Because to follow a Savior with all that you are is difficult. I had a friend one time. We were uh, sitting around my dinner table. This is a few years ago before we planted Matthias. And he's like, Mark, um, I'm struggling with all the things that you're sharing with me. And he said, because I just, I believe Jesus is easy. And I said, man, I said, I understand your perception of grace and that we don't earn anything. And I said, I believe you there. But where I disconnect myself from you is that when Jesus said, unless you eat my, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. As for me and my house, I don't look at that verse and say, that's easy. And I don't look at these passages and say, you know what, this is pretty easy, right? Let's all sign the commitment card tonight, right? Carry your cross, hate your family, everyone have a good night, let's do this. It's hard. It's difficult. And as we continue to work through tonight, we're going to see that only by the grace of God can it even happen. Only by the empowerment and the strength and courage of a Savior who places worth in us by His cross can any of this even begin to happen. Now, the image... And this is what I love so much. Verse 28 says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. How many architects do we have in here tonight? Or, you know, construction people, I'm sorry. People who build things. How many? Okay, awesome. You relate to this for the rest of us like me. I'm a poser. Horrible with tools, all right? I own three of them. Matt McNeil gave me all three, okay? I don't... Like like when Heidi says, hey, can you go get a hammer? I'm like, I... Hammer? Like, what do you, I use my palm, you know what I mean? What are you talking about? Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Now, culturally, there had been a tower that was built in AD 27, just around this time period, just around this location. And that tower had fallen down because it was poorly built. And it killed 50,000 individuals, 50,000 people. So when Jesus says this analogy... He's speaking right to them because right in this region there have been 50,000 people that have died because a tower was built poorly and fell on all of them. Do you guys understand this? So he wasn't just like random analogy. You know what I mean? Go. No, no, no. This is speaking right to them there and now. For if he lays, verse 29, the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will will ridicule him saying this fellow began to build and was not able to finish it. Now the obvious analogy for you and I. Some of us like to, uh, some of us build houses in here. We sit down and we're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a house. I got about a hundred bucks, you know what I mean? Like, I know we're in a recession, so I'm sure that will cover it, you know? And we, like, get out our debit card. We're like, hey, just go to Lowe's and buy some cross beams. And I don't even know what those are, you know, but buy some nails and some drills, right? hundred bucks, we'll come back, we'll lay the foundation, this house will be up in no time, you know? I mean, that's, his, that's what he's saying. Of course you wouldn't do that. It would be ridiculous to even think about doing that because the cost is much greater. You know the effort involved. You know the time involved. Uh, uh, Jason Zelmer couldn't be with us tonight. He's very, very sick. But, but earlier this week, he's putting in like wood floors in his house. 
And he, like, it is a painstaking job. I mean, it takes laborious hours. Laborious? What's the word? You have to labor. You guys with me? Yeah. You, You count the cost is what I'm saying, right? Now, here's the reason why this is important. I watch a culture portray the Gospel of Christ as something easy. I watch a culture say that Jesus is a commodity and not Lord. I watch a culture say that when you give, your wallet will be filled. I watch a culture say, come to Christ and it will be joy and happiness and your life will never be in folly. It will be perfect from here on out. And so what happens? People hear that cost. Oh, that won't cost me much. In fact, that barely cost me anything. He already paid the cost, which is true, but that's where it stops. And so people come to Christ, or so they think. They attach themselves to a gospel, so they think. You and I would all agree that's a false gospel. And then when people begin to challenge them, or when they begin to go through the Scriptures, and they begin to read passages like this, they begin to say, nobody told me that. Nobody ever sat me down and said, as a follower, I am called to suffer. No one ever told me that. I mean, I'm not, I can't finish this. It's, it's, like, it's like getting into a marriage and not counting the cost. Those of you guys that have been married, you know, as much as I love my wife, like, it's hard. Amen? I mean, there's days you're like, this is unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like we're communicating differently. We don't see eye to eye. But you know what? I knew that going in. We dated for six years. I knew Heidi very well. The cost was clear. I knew what I was getting myself into. Friends, many people around us are attaching themselves to a gospel that is no gospel at all. And then when they're challenged by teachings like this, they're saying, that's not Jesus. You see the dilemma? Now, it's one thing for me to talk about counting the cost. We live in America. Is anyone else just burdened by that? If America, the culture we live in, the things that we're blessed by, doesn't... So I called up my buddy Lloyd today. I woke up this morning, it was on my heart. Lloyd, as many of you guys know, is a missionary to Laos. He was put on the Ho Chi Minh Trail back in the Vietnam War. Two best friends shot in the head right in front of him because of the cause of Christ. He was put in the Hanoi Hilton, the very last prisoner... Uh, released from the Hanoi Hilton. He's been beaten, smacked, whipped for the Gospel. I called Lloyd and I said, Lloyd, could you tell me about counting the cost? Because I want to learn from you. It's one thing for us to talk about it. Hey, we're counting the cost in America. But you know what, Lloyd? I want to hear from you. So check this out. This is our conversation today. Okay, well, Jesus told us that uh, before we set about to build a building, we've got to count the cost. Or before we... Uh, Somebody goes out to war, they got to figure out whether they're going to win this thing or not before they begin. you gotta, you got to think ahead and realize that there's going to be a price involved when you obey God. Because we're living in a world that's at war with Him. We're living in a world where Satan is at war with Him, and his primary tactic is basically to take us out. And so you've got to think what this is going to add up to. And uh, in my own case, um, the price has been there. Uh, I've spent time in prison, I've been starved, I've been harassed, I've been uh, sick, I've done without a lot of the things that um, 
people here in the West think are, are normal things. For example, I've been serving God, and in the course of my life, I'm 56 years old. I've never owned a house. I've never owned a uh, dryer. I've never owned a whole lot of basic pieces of furniture and equipment and other uh, junk that people think uh, are real high priority. And uh, it hasn't been so bad. I've actually not mass missed out on anything. In fact, I'm probably one of the richest guys in the world. And the reason is, is because when we count the cost and realize that, yep, this is gonna, this is gonna take some investment here, and then we go ahead and pursue the will of God. Uh, Jesus always promised. He said, "You can give up houses or land or family or anything for me, and I'll repay you a hundred times over in this life and in the life to come." And uh, that's certainly been my experience. Like I said, I'm probably one of the richest men in the world. I don't mean in terms of the size of my bank account. Obviously, Bill Gates has got an edge on me. But I mean in terms of uh, inner peace, incredible number of relationships, uh, the quality of my family life and my marriage, the opportunity to participate, see what God's doing in our whole world and the awesome stuff he's doing. Uh, it's interesting, you know, you talk about about uh, counting the cost. I live among the people that are persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, when I'm with these folks, they almost never talk about fear or how hard it is or the fact that they may have lost their land or that they may have been beaten in prison or they may have had their church burned down. They almost don't never talk about those things. Or if they do, it's in sort of a, a joyful way. Uh, when I'm with these people, the primary... Um, attitude that comes across is, isn't it great to belong to Jesus? Isn't it great to, to experience these things for his sake? There's none of the, oh, woe is me, what a hard time I'm having. And yet these people live um, physically at a level that virtually no American or Canadian has ever experienced in terms of hardship and poverty. And so, um, you know, we need to take the words of Jesus at face value. He said, if you are willing to um, take up my cross and follow me, that's what it's about. You've got to be willing to lose the whole world um, in order to gain your soul. Because what what's the value of it if you, if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul in the process? So uh, we just need to get to, we just need to take Jesus uh, at his word and get on with the show. Uh, it's, a, it's a good one, I can guarantee you. God bless you. I mean, what, you know, what more do you say? I love when he's talking about the Laopuan people who have the potential to be beaten, harassed because of the gospel. And he said they're not talking about fear. They're talking about what a joy it is to belong to Jesus. Who despite the suffering that the gospel calls on us, despite the cost that it will, cost us everything we got, what a joy it is to belong to Jesus. Can I just remind you guys of that tonight? Of the minuscule suffering that you've ever had to go through in your life? of the times when you've been ridiculed because of your stance. Keep in mind that when he says hate your family, he's saying that to a culture that if you would to say the name of Jesus, that, that your family would hate you. Do you guys understand that? Some of you guys do understand that because you're, you've, you've experienced that, but not many of us. There, there are many cultures in the world today where if you profess Christ, your family will kill you. Do you guys understand this? And so when he says, he says, hate your family, what he's saying is, the call is complete anti-cultural. 
The way of me is completely against the way of the world. Isn't it a joy to belong to Jesus? Isn't it a joy to be called to carry our cross and to follow Him? But Mark, that doesn't seem very joyful. Isn't it beautiful that He calls us to share in His sufferings, not because it earns us something like, like the great debt He paid, but to truly show that we are followers of Christ, we will die too. And so you'd count the cost, wouldn't you? You'd make a decision to follow Christ based upon the things of truth that are laid before you. Now he goes on with this whole image. Look at this. Or suppose a king is about to go a war against another king. By the way, uh, Herod Antipas had just been defeated in a great war just around this time period. So Jesus is using this analogy to talk about war in a time where everyone knows what it looks like to be beaten. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation, unless you're a moron, right? While the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. You guys understand this? So you're going to war. Alright? You, you, you come within a distance of the, other, of the other army. And you're like, oh boy. Right? Like we're pretty well outnumbered here. You know, like this is not going to be good. So I love the, I love the way Jesus uh, says the analogy. Why you're still a long way off. You know what I mean? Like not in range of the flaming arrows. Right? You're going to send a delegation. You're going to say, hey, let's, can we work this out? You know? Like I'd rather not go to war because we're about to get our booties kicked. What he's saying is, wouldn't you, wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't you count the cost? Of course you would. And he says this in the same way, verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Three times. As teachings have continued to get harder and harder and harder. He says, unless you hate your family, you can't be my disciple. Unless you carry the cross... You can't be my disciple. Unless you give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. Because my disciples will show themselves in their reliance of me. My disciples will suffer well and will say, isn't it a joy to belong to Jesus? My disciples will put me as Lord and no other relationship can even think about taking the place of Jesus. I woke up in a dream uh, yesterday morning. And uh, for me, this teaching, and this has been hard for years, I get to this point of this passage. And the hard thing for me is always like, so, so like what? Like, so what, what do we encourage each other to do? You know what I'm saying? Like, do we look at each other and be like, okay, we're all going to wear the Carry Our Cross t-shirts now. No, seriously. You know, like, how are we going to, like, what does this look like? Like, do, do, we, do I have everyone come up and sign a commitment card that says I'm going to do all three of these things so that I can be a disciple of Jesus? You guys with me? Like, I've always struggled. Like, okay, so what now? Like, how do, how do we frame this in a teaching that, that seems... And so I woke up yesterday morning, 5.30 in the morning. I love when God does that, you know? He's like, hmm, good morning, you know? And, and I found myself in a bank. And I found myself walking into this bank dressed how I am, with professional clothing. And I walk in, and the bank teller comes up to me, or whoever, the manager, whatever he was, and he says, Mark, you owe us $10 million. 
$10 million. And like, as I'm laying there in bed, I, I, you know, my reaction even in bed, like I started to shake. I was like, what? $10 million? Like, I, okay, I don't have $10 million. Like, what are you talking about? I owe you what? Excuse me? And then, like, I kind of like come back. And, and all the bank people are like back there huddling, you know, they're like, psh, 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 you know, this is all in my head and in my heart oh, yesterday morning, 530. And the bank teller comes back and he's like, Mark, here's the deal. We're feeling generous today. Yeah, dude, I'm out, like already, like even laying in bed, like my heart starts pumping. Like, excuse me, generous, you know, are you going to cut a mill, a mill off like down to nine? Okay, that's a step, you know, we'll take that, you know, what does generous mean? Here's the deal. The 10 million it's gone. Forget about that. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pay for that. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, laying in my bed, I'm like, what? You're going to pay for the 10 million? Like, like, what does that even look like? What does that even... You're, the 10 million is just gone. Yeah, 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 it's gone. It's completely gone. It's a race. Um, and here's what we noticed, Mark. We noticed that you're still breathing. We notice that you're standing here, Mark, living you. And so, Mark, um, we're going to empower you now, and now I'm changing the metaphor a little bit, to give us everything that you have. It's the difference between owing and debt and giving. You guys with me? It's the difference between owing. We owe something more than we can ever pay, or more than we can ever think about chipping away. We owe a debt that had to be paid by something and someone else. Jesus went to the cross, paid that debt in full. It's erased. It's gone. And over and over and over in Scriptures, He says, now give me your life. All that you have, come on. All your financial resources, those are mine. I own them. Your wife, I own her. Your kids, I own them. You, you worship me because I'm your Lord. And guess what? I'm going to send my counselor, the Holy Spirit, to empower you to do that. I don't just ask you of your life. I'm going to help you give your life. Friends, grace is not just found in our sins being covered for by the blood of a cross. Grace is found in the fact that He even calls us. Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 5 says that by His grace and apostleship, He's connecting grace and His call. So somehow, at the end of, if you don't hate your family, if you don't carry your cross, if, if, if you don't give up everything, I'm left with the question, so how can I do that? Friends, I hope you understand that Jesus is clear. Now, now, if you were just here for this teaching, what, what would you have heard? This is exactly what you would have heard. If you were there, had no comprehension of Scripture, you had never heard Jesus speak before. This is the very first time you heard Jesus speak. That's, that's verbatim what you would have heard. But we have the holistic picture of the Scriptures to be able to say that not only by His grace are we saved, but listen, by His grace we are called. What a God that is. What a God who would grace us enough, extend His mercy enough for us to be able to be a reflection of Him by carrying our cross, by loving Him more than we love others, 
by giving up everything that we have. It's the difference between owing and debt and giving. Do you guys see the difference? Because for me, I've struggled with years with this passage. In fact, I've spoke this passage so many times, and I've like rallied the troops. You know, like I start swinging my arms and getting crazy. All right, everybody, now we're going to go do it. We're going to go die. We're going to go carry our cross. We're going to get serious this time. And I don't know if you're like me, but over and over and over, I wake up in my bedroom thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it. Praise God for His grace. I said, I've given you a spirit not of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-control. And so all of a sudden, we marvel not in our ability to carry a cross or to love Him more than our family or to give up everything. We marvel in His grace. We sit at His feet and say, I'm so undeserving, I'm so unworthy, and you've provided. You've spoken, you've died, you've raised from the dead, and now you're allowing me to be able, able, able to approach you. The reality is, friends, we're not consumed by His grace enough. We talk about it because we enjoy being theological. Um, in Romans, there's a lot of discussion about grace. I know that. Like, we love being theological and knowledgeable and heady. So we talk about grace in our Christian circles. Oh uh, yeah, grace. It's great. I love it. Thank God for it. When have you just sat in awe of it and just allowed the understanding of a God who would not just die for your sins but grace you enough to be able to use you for His service by His empowerment? Friends, is anyone else getting a little bit joyful? Praise God that I belong to Jesus. Praise God that I don't have to wake up in the morning and be like, all right, today, Mark, we're going to earn it. Today, all right, um, we need some you know, way to calculate if I'm carrying my cross or not. He already did it. He's empowering me now to follow in His footsteps. And when I fail, He's right there. That's the definition of grace. So you're in here. And you've been communicating and hearing a gospel over and over and over. You've been counting the cost, and for you, the cost is earning it. Let me tell you something that's not the gospel. Counting the cost is seeing what He counted. He's seeing He counted the cost and He gave it all up. He humbled Himself to death, even to death on a cross, allowing us to sit underneath that. And friends, if that doesn't say to you today, thank God that I belong to Jesus Christ, that brings me a great amount of joy, then we're missing grace, amen? We, we, we have nothing else. That's all we got. And so finally for me, listen to this. I sat in my office all yesterday morning. I was sharing this with Brandon uh, earlier today. I, I just, and I don't mean this to sound trite or to sound, but I had this experience with God and at 5.30 in the morning. I went to my office. I opened my Bible. I could not stop weeping. I played, I just put on some worship and opened my word and I just sat for three hours in my office and I marveled at the grace of God. And I sat back and I was like, God, thank you that I can, I can reflect you by your empowerment. That you called me to be like you and you're going to give me the tools to be like you. And so, friends, for those of you here who are feeling unworthy, amen. For those of you that are feeling like, I can't do that, I agree. And so each of us sits back and we marvel at the grace of Christ. Now, Jesus isn't done, now. He says something very poignant. Look at this. 
Verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Any salt lovers here? Put salt on everything, including bananas. I mean, I love salt, you know? Probably not good for my sodium chloric in- intake, whatever. My arteries, you know what I'm saying. Now here's the image. You guys have heard of the Dead Sea, right? I've swam in it, really salty. So much so that you literally float, okay? Uh, unfortunately, many of you guys have heard this story because I tell uh, this story a lot. But when I went out to the Dead Sea, um, someone jokingly said, Hey, you got, there's a bug in your eye. And so I was floating in the river or in the, in the, in the sea. And I, they're like, you got a bug in your eye. And I took my fingers. It was death. I mean, have you, it was like opening my eyeball and like taking the salt shaker. You know what I mean? And I don't know if you've ever done that before, right? But it was horrific, you know? So anyway, when Jesus is talking about salt, this, the, the Dead Sea is like the, the major source of salt in this culture. I mean, there's a lot of it that comes from there. You distill it, you use it. Now, this next image that he gives helps clarify what he's saying. It is, neither, uh, it, is, it is fit neither for the soul nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. So Jesus cl- uh, closes all of this. If you're not my disciple, what he's saying is, you're not salty. And in Matthew, we see that Jesus told the disciples, you're the what? The salt of the earth. Because here's the thing, salt, bad salt is worse than no salt. Why? Because salt that is improperly distilled or is left out in the sun or loses, in this case, its saltiness, if you throw that in a manure pile, it contaminates it. Anything bad enough to contaminate a manure pile. You you know what I'm saying? Like, how bad do you have to be? Like, oh, that manure pile, that's contaminated. It's like, what? How do you tell? Does it smell worse? Like, does it look... Like, I don't even understand that, you know? So hold on a second. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, if you're not my disciple, then you're worse than unsalty salt. You're a, listen, you're a contaminant. And this confirms over and over in Scripture when he says, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not my friend, you're a foe. If you're not on my side, you're an adversary. And he closes the passage with what? He who has what? Ears, let him hear. This passage has been my life passage. There's been time and time again where I've stood in front of a group of people and I've communicated, let's, let's count the cost. That's true discipleship. You've got to go for it. And friends, tonight, different from any other time that I've ever taught this passage, all I have to say to you is that only by His power is this passage even possible. He calls us and He equips us. He allows us to see His power. We're allowed to give Him glory by His using us for His service. And when you understand, listen, when you understand, and this, this was the metaphor for me in my bedroom. When you wake up and you understand $10 million of debt that we're still unfortunately trying to chip away, which is beyond me. When you sit back and you understand that debt, friends, my natural response is gratitude. When if I can just realize and open my eyes and my heart to the reality of a debt that I could not pay, the call is too big for me. 
then what it does for me is it allows me to marvel at His grace and to say, Oh God, I need You. When we opened the service tonight, I was praying that something different would happen. And I'm, I'm praying and I'm crying out for there to be a desperation for God to pour out His grace. For us, for us not to be satisfied until we taste it. Until we see it. Until we can communicate it. Because without it, we're nothing. Are you guys with me? Without the pouring out and the, the redemption of His blood and the acceptance of His grace that will cause faith. He does both. Without that marvel and that awe, we'll just be doing and playing Christianity. We'll be living in a culture where it's easy to call ourselves a Christian, and then when we stand before the Father, He will say, I know you not. The cost is great. He's paid it. And so, my friends, today, right now, picture yourself in the bank. We're going to take some time so let that sit. You've got your word. You've got your knees. Each and every one of us. There's a call to repent tonight. Repent of our pride and arrogance that has believed that it was us that was on the cross earning our way to Jesus. Repent of our acts the thought that somehow we were coming closer to Him. Friends, tonight it's all about Jesus. Tomorrow night it's all about Jesus the next night and forever. It's all about Jesus. Let's marvel at His grace tonight.